0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us for a few moments as we investigate Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the Gospel or Good News, about the Kingdom of God. We've been suggesting that the scheme laid out by Jesus, the scheme which underlies all of his teaching, is essentially simple. What Jesus offered the public was immortality, and a place in the future kingdom of God to be established on the earth at his future coming in power and glory. The framework within which all of Jesus' teaching is placed is no more difficult than the concept of a goal or a race to be run with a prize to be won at the end of the race. It's no more difficult than the idea of an invitation to a future marriage ceremony. Today is the time of preparation for the kingdom. For each of us, life is limited in its span. We have only so long to prepare either to be burned up as the chaff or to be ushered into the kingdom of God and given immortality and the privilege of ruling with Christ in that kingdom on the earth. Typical of Jesus' view of the future is given in his famous beatitude in Matthew 5, verse 5 where he said, blessed are the meek, they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. In Revelation 5, verse 10, we read of a time coming when people from all nations will be gathered into a group of kings and priests, and they will rule upon the earth. They will reign as kings on the earth. Revelation 5, and verse 10. That's a summary of the Christian faith. The story is a simple one. We are invited by the gospel message concerning the kingdom of God, Jesus' gospel message, to prepare now in order to take part in that great kingdom of God to be established on the earth in the future when Jesus comes back. Now my agnostic and atheist friends say to me, do you really take this material seriously? How do you know that any of this is true? How do you know it isn't just a Jewish fable or a Christian fantasy? Anybody who's worked with the Bible for a period of 40 years becomes convinced that there's something supernatural at work in the pages of the Scriptures. This is not the composition of men dreaming about the future or trying to exalt themselves to positions of leadership. This comes as the inspired word of God who controls the destiny of mankind and who's working out his grand scheme to produce peace on the earth. That's our faith as Christians in the inspiration of Scripture and the core of the scriptural revelation has to do with the gospel of the kingdom of God. I will not tire of pointing out to you that in Matthew 13:19, Jesus spoke of the creative power of God, his word, in the Greek the word is logos, God's creative activity is summed up under the shorthand term message about the kingdom, operation kingdom, That's the phrase that summarizes what the God of heaven and earth is working out here in this earth. The message of the kingdom was the message which drove the ministry of Jesus. I've pointed out to you many times the text in Luke chapter 4 and verse 43. There Jesus exposed the point of his whole mission. He said that God had sent him for one definitive purpose, namely the preaching of the gospel concerning the kingdom of God. You would expect that phrase, gospel of the kingdom, to be heard everywhere from Christian pulpits, but it's surprising how little attention is paid to the teaching of Jesus. That surely ought to be a sanitary shock for us. Is it possible that a church can trade under the name of Jesus without actually teaching his teaching? These are challenging questions, and they merit a most careful investigation on the part of those many of our listeners who are careful students of the Bible. The text in Acts 17 verse 11 is still of paramount importance. We read there of the Bereans who searched the Scriptures, investigated the Scriptures daily to see if what they were hearing was true. And this, Luke tells us, caused many of them to become true believers and to set out on the path that leads to immortality in the future kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the center and the heart of Jesus' teaching. It was the center and the heart of Paul's teaching, of Philip's teaching, of Peter's teaching. It is the constant underlying message, God's creative tool, the medium of his revelation. The message of the kingdom is the means by which God transmits his personality and his character, his power and his love to us. It is the means by which he creates in us a new man after the image of Jesus Christ, his beloved Son. Jesus in the Bible is the Messiah and the Son of God, the agent of the one God of Israel, his Father. The God of Jesus is the God of Israel. Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, the Christ. He is the Lord of Psalm 110 and verse 1. Let me tell you a little bit about that psalm because it's quoted or alluded to in the New Testament more than any other passage from the Old Testament. It's therefore of vital importance to our understanding of the personalities involved in the great drama which unfolds in the pages of the Bible. In Psalm 110 and verse 1 we have a supremely important oracle outlining for us the future of God's plan. In Psalm 110 and verse 1, we read that Yahweh, the one God of Israel, Jehovah, if you like, or Yahweh, nobody knows exactly how to pronounce the divine name, but Yahweh, the one God of Israel, speaks in an oracle, in a prophetic oracle, to David's Lord. David's Lord, of course, is the coming Messiah. He's to be the Lord Christ. And Yahweh there speaks to David's Lord, the Messiah, and he tells him to sit at his right hand until his enemies are made his footstool. That, of course, summarizes the whole drama of Jesus' career from the moment at which he was taken to the right hand of the Father until that decisive time when he descends from heaven again to rule in the kingdom, when his enemies will indeed be put under his feet. It would perhaps be fair to say that the whole New Testament is a commentary on that precious verse in Psalm 110 and verse 1. Certainly we know that the book of Hebrews was written around that central concept that Psalm 110 verse 1 is quoted in the early chapters of Hebrews and the rest of the book develops the themes given us in that famous statement that Yahweh, the one God of Israel speaks in a prophetic oracle to David's Lord, the Messiah, and tells him to sit at his right hand until his enemies are made his footstool. It's true also that the New Testament is really a commentary on that whole idea. The two outstanding personalities in the biblical drama, of course, are the one God of Israel, the Father of Jesus Christ, and the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. Those two personalities are seen there in that oracle. The one speaks to the other, The one is Yahweh, and the other is David's Lord. No wonder then that Paul, referring to these two principal players in the divine drama in 1 Corinthians 8, 4-6, tells us in a basic creedal statement that to us Christians there's one God, the Father, and one Lord Messiah, Jesus. That's of course based on Psalm 110, verse 1 where the one God, Yahweh, speaks to my Lord the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's one Lord Messiah and one Lord God. The two major players in the drama are seen there in the prophetic oracle as seated in the heavens. The one God of Israel, Yahweh the Father, addresses his agent, David's Lord and Messiah. How was it possible that that Messiah could be both the Son of David and also his Lord? Well, quite simply because Jesus was the lineal descendant of David the king. According to the records in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, Jesus was begotten by the power of the Holy Spirit. As the angel said to Joseph, that which is begotten in her is from the Holy Spirit. God therefore became the Father of Jesus Christ by that divine begetting supernaturally in the womb of Mary constituting as Luke 1.35 Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah at his ascension he was appointed Lord and Christ according to Acts 2 and verse 36 God made him Lord and Messiah and Peter there in Acts 2 in that famous sermon then proceeds to quote Psalm 110 verse 1 The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It was by divine appointment that Jesus became the Lord Christ in power at his ascension. He had always been the Lord Messiah, of course, even from Luke 2 and verse 11, where the angels are informed that the one who is born in Bethlehem is the Lord Christ. All of that information is taken from Psalm 110, verse 1 where the two players in the drama, the one God of Israel, addresses his son, the Lord Messiah, David's son and David's Lord, our Lord Christ, whom we expect to return in power and glory to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom being the essence of his gospel message, the saving gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 13, 19 and Luke 8, verse 12. This extensive use of Psalm 110 and verse 1 is typical of the fact that the New Testament is deeply rooted in the Hebrew Bible, what we unfortunately call the Old Testament. Jesus, of course, was a Jew. He was not a philosopher thinking in terms of Greek speculative ideas. Jesus was rooted in the prophetic tradition of Israel. He spoke in terms of first-century Palestinian Judaism. His ideas are taken from that milieu and not from the later world of pagan speculation. A great problem for many Bible readers is that they're trying to read the Bible through the spectacle of later creeds and later Greek ideas which invaded the church in post-biblical times. Intelligent Bible reading requires that we put aside traditional notions which came into the faith later and that we read the Bible in its own Hebrew environment. Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jew. He quotes the Old Testament as a repository of divine revelation and truth, he is not in any way interested in the philosophy of Plato, and he would have regarded all such philosophies as intrusions and usurpers into the faith. Church-going, unfortunately, is made problematic because the creeds of many churches reside not in the New Testament, but in post-biblical times, as late as 300 or 400 A.D., when Greek leaders in the church tried to define the faith in terms of their own Greek philosophical ideas. The question is, will those Greek philosophical ideas mix readily with the Hebrew-based faith of Jesus and the apostles? That's a whole study in itself, and a most fascinating one. The key to intelligent Bible study lies in the fact that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, proclaiming the Jewish kingdom. It's therefore a Christian kingdom, not just a Jewish kingdom. Jesus was a Jew, but he was also the prototype Christian, the first bearer of the good news of the kingdom, and he proclaimed himself to be the Christ of Israel. As the New Testament develops, as we know, people of all nations and creeds and races are invited into that Jewish Christian society of the kingdom of God as they prepare for positions of rulership with Christ in his future kingdom. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God, also a booklet entitled, What Happens When We Die? This literature will develop for you in much greater detail some of the themes we've been referring to in these programs. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.